Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Cancer. I'm Shanali Johnson, Head of Knowledge Advocacy and Policy at the Union for International Cancer Control, an organization that unites and supports the cancer community to reduce the global cancer burden. A staggering 99% of the population is breathing air that exceeds safe quality limits set by the World Health Organization. This polluted air filled with fine particulate matter from various sources like fossil fuel combustion, wildfires and construction sites, poses significant health risks, notably an increased risk of cancer. To delve deeper into this public health crisis, we have the privilege of inviting Dr. Maria Nera, Director of Public Health, Environmental and Social Determinants of Health at the World Health Organization. Dr. Nera, welcome and thank you for joining us today to discuss the impact of air pollution on human health, particularly cancer and ways to create systemic positive change. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure and so happy to have the opportunity to talk to your community. First of all, can you tell us what are the primary forms of air pollution, both outdoor and indoor? And what regions is air pollution the highest? So if you could give us a bit of a geographical spread of air pollution. Thank you. Let me start with a horrible number. Sorry, but we need to put this number on the table. We have every year 7 million, 7 million, 7 million means, imagine the population of Paris, Rome, Madrid, all together. Imagine this population disappearing every year, dying because of exposure to the bad quality of the air we breathe. Obviously, not all the regions around the world are the same. If you look at uh, North America and Europe, there has been an incredible increase on the quality of the air in the last uh, decades. But still, even in the European region, we have uh, every year 400,000 deaths of our citizens in Europe dying because of exposure to air pollution. But when we look at other places of the world, when we look at India, when we look at Mexico, when we look at Peru, when we look at China, those are the places suffering the big consequences of these very high pollution levels. We have cities where the levels of pollution are going more than 50 times beyond what is recommended as a quality standards for air uh, by the World Health Organization. Well, thank you. Those, those are really sobering and worrying statistics you've given us. Can you talk us through how air pollution impacts human health? Could you explain a bit about what happens to the human body? If there is something that puts uh, humans on the same level is the fact that we need to drink, we need to have food and we need to breathe. But uh, you can spend even one week without eating. Uh, you can spend few uh, maybe days eventually without water, but try to be beyond five minutes without breathing. That will be a horrible experience and you will not be able to share that experience with anyone. So when you breathe an air that contains toxic particles, that it contains the result of the exhaustion of the cars that we use in our cities, the result of this combustion of fossil fuels, that toxic particles, which are very, very tiny, they go into your uh, respiratory system. They have a first uh, contact with our lungs. So there will be consequences as uh, lung cancer. There will be consequences as uh, chronic respiratory diseases, asthma, for instance. 
pneumonia as well. You have uh, other problems related to your respiratory system. But these horrible tiny particles have decided that the respiratory system was not enough. So because they are so small, they can go to the bloodstream. And once you reach the bloodstream, means that you can reach any organ in our body because, you know, the bloodstream goes all around our body. So the second horrible consequences of those toxic particles is in our brain. A stroke is one of the main consequences and uh, many other degenerative diseases, behaviorally related uh, cognitive problems, we will reduce our capacity to learn. And not only the brain, you can go to your cardiovascular system and therefore you will have a problem with your heart and many other diseases. To give you an idea, even a pregnant woman, we can find those uh, particles in the baby. Even if you didn't breathe yet because you are a fetus, you can already suffer the consequences of your mom living on a very polluted area. Fundamentally, the air pollution can affect any organ on our body. It's a main responsible for several types of cancer, and we need to do much more to respond at the level of the magnitude of the problem we are confronting. We need to be able to be very ambitious on the response, very quick as well, because this is a major public health challenge and emergency. Thank you, Dr. Nira. Indeed, um, as a cancer community, we are increasingly concerned by air pollution and air quality in cities, as you've mentioned, and seeing lung cancer cases in patients who have never smoked or been around people who smoke but yet live in uh, polluted cities. So this is something that we are concerned about as a community and will be working more with other communities. As you've said, this affects various areas of health. I just want to go back to the point that you've made around cities. So can you talk us through the sort of urban planning strategies that health authorities and city authorities could be thinking about to address this problem now? Thank you for the question, because this is where the more positive and motivating part starts. If we have 7 million premature deaths every year caused by air pollution and many, many diseases associated with that, it will require long period of hospitalization, a lot of cost and suffering. The good part is that they can be prevented and the, the prevention will be something as simple as saying that clean air is a human right. We are very demanding about the quality of the water we drink. We should have something as restrictive as that in terms of the quality of the air we breathe. Sometimes we call air pollution as a kind of invisible killer because it's not something that you consume, but it's something that simply goes into your body without you realizing it. So at the city level, at the urban level, we can do a lot of interventions promoting a sustainable transport system. So if we reduce the use of our private cars, we take more the public transport, and that is the role of the mayors to ensure that we have a sustainable public transport system that will dissuade people from using cars that are very pollutant. Plus, obviously, we need legislation to tell us which cars are the most pollutant or the less pollutant. We need the, the polluters to pay for that. 
we need to make sure that each country and each city moves to a more sustainable sources of energy. Fossil fuels are the tobacco that is our enemy. The combustion of fossil fuels are killing us, literally. If I could, I will put a disclaimer in all the petrol stations saying fossil fuels kills exactly as we have on the tobacco, because the responsibility and the cost that this is having on our society is immense. In many countries, developing countries, they are still to uh, do waste management. They are still doing incineration. And in certain countries, in certain cities, you still have industry within the city and it's very poor environmental uh, standards. So all of those things, the citizens need to be aware, demand, put pressure on their politicians, on their mayors. Look at the mayor of London. He's taking now very courageous measures on this extremely low emission zone with some taxes and then dissuasion of the use of the cars. And this is proving to be a good thing to reduce pollution. Yes, there is a demand for action. In fact, uh, Switzerland, where UICC is based, recently Swiss voters backed a new law that commits to reaching zero emissions by 2050. This might seem like a obvious or difficult question. We don't want to talk about the cost, but sometimes these things come into the discussion. Is it cost effective for countries to become carbon neutral or to become more environmental and safe? Now, we've, of course, for our planet, yes, but to, to get at those naysayers who say, well, this is going to cost me as an individual more money. This is going to cost my country more money. What can we say to them? Well, those who are using the, the economic arguments to postpone action on tackling the causes of climate change, they don't realize that we are already paying for that. I mean, when they say we cannot become carbon neutral because it will cost us such and such, the health system is already paying 77 billions because of the health consequences of being exposure to uh, uh, climate change and air pollution. So the good news, again, is that if we tackle the causes of climate change, the immediate most important benefit will be the reduction of air pollution. Becoming carbon neutral will be the most cost-effective, powerful, rewarding, extraordinary public health intervention. Because by tackling the causes of climate change, what you are doing is to promote interventions that are very good for our health. Uh, let me tell you something. One, some months ago, a friend of mine who is a journalist and she was living in a very polluted city, she was there with her uh, small kids. And uh, she told me that the three years that she was working there, her kids were once every two weeks, they were at the hospital, bronchitis, uh, bronchitis, uh, asthma, complicated asthma. And she, the moment she moved, their kids were perfectly in good health. So the question to me was, tell me the truth, Maria, by how many years I have reduced the life expectancy of my kids by living in such a polluted area? I said, hey, I'm not answering this for sure not. The important thing is that now you are living in an area that is less polluted and you can see very well the benefits for your health. When people understand that climate change is not just about beautiful mountains and beautiful glaciers and uh, green planets and all of that, it's about our lungs as well and our health. 
then people become extremely powerful. And, and I'm sure that the cancer community, more they know about the, the linkages between air pollution and several types of cancer, not just the lung cancer, I'm sure they will be irreversible, the movement. The cancer community has been doing incredible work. So we need you on air pollution as well to, to move mountains together. Well, I think many of our members would be ready to take up that challenge. We certainly do have a, a history of advocacy and activism in our countries. When we go back to this economic argument, not only is it the right thing to do for the future generations, for our planet, we have one home, but the impact on the health system with the rising burden of non-communicable diseases of which air pollution and a lot of the pollutants that we're exposed to is a main cause is something that really does concern us. But this brings me to another question that I have for you, which is on equity, because as you've mentioned, there are people who are able to leave a polluted city and move to greener pastures, uh, and those people who are unable to do so. And I think when we talk about justice and human rights, this really is something that we should all be concerned about. What kind of efforts do you think need to be done there as well so that we can all benefit from clean air, safe air? Inequity is so much linked to air pollution and environmental issues because first, uh, you can choose the type of water you drink. If you are lucky enough, you can drink bottled water or you live in a country where the standards and the quality of the water is good. But even if you are a very rich person and you live in one of those very, very polluted cities, there is not much you can do when you go out. You need to rid that uh, bad toxic air that is affecting you. However, the inequities are as well in the different cities. You might live in London on an area where you are not in the middle of the road, which is one of the most polluted places. So yes, inequity, even in big countries, big cities, you have citizens that will be living near a very polluted road and others that will be living on areas where they can have and afford a nice garden or a nice environment, a green environment, because it's a privileged area. Some people is promoting those individual devices where you can check the quality of the air in the different parts of the city. But uh, once you know the bad quality, if you need to work in that area and you cannot choose, as my friend journalist that moved to another country, uh, you are in trouble. So inequities are exceptionally big in terms of, uh, of air pollution. And that's why we need to raise our voices very, very strong on mayors. They have an, a very strong power because they are close to citizens, so we can measure the quality of their or of your city. That is something that each citizen, and particularly the cancer community, should have a, a monitor to see every day, and you can have it in WHO. You, you go to WHO page, you can check every day what is the air uh, quality of your city or your area where you live or you work, and use that to put pressure on your politicians. We saw that in Beijing, for instance, it was a very big um, control of the standards in terms of air pollution, and the levels, the numbers were so high that the citizens started to protest, you know, which is not very common, but uh, because of the health, they started to exceptionally protest, and thanks to that, some measures were taken. Check the quality of the air on your city, knowing how much is different 
to the recommended standards of WHO. And then when you vote or when you demonstrate or when you take your card, think about that and do advocacy with others as well at the school, at your working environment, at the hospital, with your friends. Everyone should do advocacy on this because this is really killing us. We are seeing a lot more citizen engagement, aren't we? And we are seeing more uh, engagement of communities around the world. Of course, uh, Greta Thunberg is, you know, the young person with the face who, who did a lot of activism. But there are many other young people interested in this topic. How can we talk to young people and engage young people in these efforts? What should we be doing from the earliest age? And a second question I have for you, which is a slightly more tricky one is, you know, you work on the social determinants and the commercial determinants of health. The other side of the coin is sort of the interference and the sort of hesitancy or lobbying from industry. So how can we create that demand, bringing in the younger generations and at the same time put pressure on our government not to be influenced by these polluting industries? Let me start by the second one. I think I was saying that um, pollution is the new tobacco in the sense that, uh, you know, we need to raise awareness, we need to create a big movement, we need to do something very strong, even legislation. Why not? Maybe we should impose by law the air quality standards. That will be my dream. I want to make sure that each government should have and make accountable for the quality of their, their citizens' live. And uh, I want to make sure that any politician will be able to say, I didn't know that this was bad for your health. No excuses. Everybody knows that this is bad for your health. So it's your responsibility to protect your citizens. So maybe we need to go as far as, as we did for tobacco, having a law. So this will be the first thing on the commonality with tobacco. However, tobacco had one industry behind doing a lot of lobby, which was the tobacco industry. In the case of pollution, we are not very lucky because we have many of those. But essentially, it's the fossil fuel and the transport and all of that. So we can work with them. I think uh, taxes, definitely, and uh, stop giving subsidies to the fossil fuels because it's, it's ironic, horribly ironic, that we are still giving subsidies as governments to what is creating problems in the health of our citizens. And when you look at the numbers of subsidies we are giving, is outrageous. So we are giving subsidies to something that then will send our people to hospital where then we will be paying three times the subsidies that we were giving to the industry. So where is the logic here? Which policymaker, which government is able to have such a perverse logic here? Because it's absolutely perverse. So on, on subsidies, on taxes, on the commercial determinants, we need to go for the transition to clean sources of energy. There are many movements, the youth, we have moms for clean air as well. I think they are very powerful. When you have a mom fighting for her child who has a asthma, wow, those movements are powerful. So I hope that the moms and dads of the, the cancer groups can do the same, you know, claiming that we have the right to breathe an air that will not cause us damage. I mean, I don't want the air of the mountains here in Switzerland. That will be a dream. But it will be enough that we breathe an air that at least will not kill us. 
and this is not the, the case at the moment. So we have many movements, youth and others now joining, but not enough. Uh, we need more daily routine Gretas. Each of us, we can be a Greta, each of us. So any citizen, a grandma, a grandfather, a mom, a school teacher, of course, doctors and, and the health professionals, it, we should all be a Greta and promote a more sustainable way of, of living, commuting, producing, consuming. So plenty of things to gain if we are good advocates or plenty of things to lose if we are accepting the situation as it is now. And just one last question, which is more on what is the United Nations doing? If you could talk us through some of the high level and international efforts on this, as you're particularly leading WHO's work on the environmental side of things and on air pollution, can you talk us through what we can expect to see, Dr. Nero, in the next years? Well, we are putting on the COP agenda this year, for the first time ever, we are having a health day. That uh, has been a titanic effort, but here we are. Now we will have a health day. What do we want? We want to make sure that we present a scenario telling people how much climate change and air pollution are affecting our health. Second, the fact that we need to protect our citizens from those risks. And for that, we need to reduce pollution, we need to reduce emissions, we need to prepare our health system to cope with the consequences that are already there, and we need to adapt our health system to cope with that. And third, we are promoting the fact that by cutting pollution and emissions, the health benefits will be enormous. Thank you so much uh, for these very inspiring words. We did start on a very depressing start, but we really ended with the possibilities for action for all of us working together in an individual capacity as a family and as a community and society. So thank you for this uh, great insight into the work that's going on. Thanks for having me, a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Cancer. If you want to know more about air pollution, please visit our website where you can find further information and a social media toolkit. If you're interested in cancer and the environment, why not listen to our podcast on the harms of the tobacco industry on our health, published in May 2022. And if you have a moment, please do give us a rating and share the podcast. It really helps us reach a wider audience and inform more people about issues surrounding cancer. <laughs>